Hey, welcome to Razzle Dazzle, a podcast about video games and pop culture with an emphasis on our favorites. All right, it's Razzle Dazzle time! We're your hosts, Jared and Patrick. Hello. And today, we are finally continuing a series that we started, uh, oh my god, like what, four years ago now? It yeah. was episode 10 where we did our first part of Final Fantasy VII. We started this series, I guess I can call it a series now, we started this with the idea of we're gonna do an episode on or near the release of the next parts of the Final Fantasy Remake trilogy. So for episode 10, that was our first pandemic episode. Can you believe that? I don't remember it be- for being that. Like, I remember doing the Final Fantasy 7 recording, and at no point in my mind was I like... like I think I've, like, trauma blocked that out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, (laughs) I'm like Cloud right now, just kind of reimagining how everything went. Right. Yeah. No, what are you talking about? We were in the studio. No, we weren't. I know, I know. I'm saying as if I were Cloud. Oh, gotcha. No, we were in the studio. Oh, yeah. We were having a good time. Everybody was there. (laughs) Everybody, just us two, and just Joe was completely silent. (laughs) (laughs) But for that episode, since Final Fantasy VII Remake was coming out, I think, around that time, I absolutely love Final Fantasy VII, and I wanted to cover at least the same portion of the game that the remake was covering, uh, which is the entire Midgar section. So if you guys want to go back and listen to episode 10 of our first part of Final Fantasy 7 where we only talk about what happens in Midgar. Go ahead if you want. Like, I'm gonna be completely <laughs> honest. I did my best going back and like remastering those like first 30 some episodes, but like it's still a hard listen to our standards now. But like, you know, our point still stands. We, we might like do a little refresher of Midgar just to like get us started. But yeah, we are here for part two because Final Fantasy VII Rebirth the second part of this remake trilogy is coming out in about a month and i think what better time to just jump back in actually do a part two than right now and to be fair fair warning complete spoilers and we're gonna talk about the entirety of the original game so i know that the rebirth game is only gonna be up until the actual midway point of the original final fantasy 7 game which is right after the weapons wake up that's that's a lot you know when when the first disc is only midgar for the remake and now we're getting just from there to the midway point that's a lot to cover but also we don't have the luxury of time to wait for part three which will take another four or five years four or five years yeah so <laughs> yeah uh let's do a little recap midgar patrick tell us about uh your first impressions of final fantasy 7 when you first played it here not first played it i didn't like it so i'm, I'm a, <laughs> we're gonna completely throw out that experience uh, with only to say that like it's not that it wasn't fun, but it was just at that time I was playing so many modern games that have like a set standard for the experience, that all that, that older games, you know, we're still trying to figure out. So I wasn't really having fun because I had other games I wanted to play and Final Fantasy VII wasn't really scratching the itch. Mm. Recently went back to play it again for this episode, yeah. got through Midgar and a little bit past that. We were kind of um, playing uh, together, not like in the same room or anything, but we were playing at the same time. 
I mean, you could say that in a way, but you are so much faster at that game, and then also Baldur's Gate came out, so, like, I'm trying to juggle both, and meanwhile, you're just like, yeah, I, I just beat this too, and I'm, like, halfway through Midgar, I'm like, okay, well, this is gonna take a bit. But then again, this is like, I, I, I replay this game, like, every other year or something, so... Yeah, yeah, you you know the ins and outs of it. <laughs> I, I, in the meanwhile, is like, I need to talk to every single person here because one of them is going to give me an item that I want. Right. But yeah, so I was uh, going back for the second time with more of a patient outlook at the game. I did end up having a lot more fun. Hmm. There is just the element of the gameplay loop did kind of bog me down towards the later end of where I was playing. But in Midgar, I was having a great time. Okay. Story's fun. The characters are really start to show themselves in enough of a way to where you're not like you don't feel like anybody's dumping on you, but at the same time everything's flowing somewhat well. It's a little goofy, and then also like just tackling, looking at how they tackled the technology they had available to them at the time, looking at it more in that sort of critical lens. It's oh, like sure. it's really there's a lot of creativity to what they managed to do and how they portrayed each scene like climbing up out of the lower areas of Midgar it's while you're heading to Shinra Tower mm-hmm. um, that sequence like as frustrating as it is controls wise yeah the wall is, yeah is really interesting visually especially for its time yeah I, I always considered that to be like one of my least favorite sections of disc one just because it's you know it's frustrating the pre-rendered like background arts or you know the the foreground you know the the entire like setting is it looks great it's beautiful and i think it's a great way to captivate like how to show off these locations but i always found it frustrating always have a hard time like figuring out okay what is real what isn't um so it always takes me a minute to like get through it but like that's that's a nitpick for me it's a nitpick and it's also like very clearly new to where this isn't something that a lot of other games i think there weren't other games that tried something like this before if i could be wrong on that one right before this game i don't think so in general, this whole idea of like your digital characters with these like painted backgrounds wasn't explorable in a 3D sort of way. It is pretty new, so it's not entirely like, whoa, look at this, it looks like it's real, but I'm sure yeah. people at the time were like, holy crap, how did they do this? Yeah, uh, um, at the time, like this was an innovation for 3D games, especially for the RPG genre, of course. This is the first 3D Final Fantasy, so like it's a pretty big deal in its own right, and coming out in nineteen in the nineties, you know, that's that's a pretty big deal. It's not even on the N sixty four or anything. It's on the PlayStation One. I think it handled itself pretty good at the time. Of course, looking back now, is it's not the greatest, you know. Of course not, but. You have to take it. You can't it with hold them to that standard. Exactly. You gotta take it with a grain of salt. Be like, yeah, this was the time. This was the best we can get, I guess. But also with the pre-rendered cutscenes, you know how beautiful those movie-esque like cutscenes will play out. Hell, the the entire game was marketed as a big blockbuster uh, with the old commercials and stuff like that on magazines and all this stuff you know it was it was an epic it is an epic you know it's it's portrayed as an epic yeah to sum up my the positives <laughs> of playing through one of my first experience it's that it's being able to like look at this old game and kind of see why everybody loved it mm-hmm. though the negatives being that 
also kind of realizing why I didn't love it. It is an older game, and it does have an older style of RPG loop, gameplay loop, and it just wasn't for me, especially now. Right now I'm playing Baldur's Gate 3, which is, I think, one of the best RPGs to have come out ever. And I'm heavily biased in this, but still. <laughs> I was about to say, you're saying, <laughs> oh, oh, we're talking about an actual JRPG that is one of the most influential and considered one of the best video games of all time already and bringing up another new game that's like, yeah, this too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, it's, it's just because you're juggling this, or like you're you're juggling the goat of the past right. versus, in the my go- opinion, the goat, goat of the contender. <laughs> um, contender for goat. We'll we'll see. We'll see with how this game ages and all that. And the thing is, nobody's playing Baldur's Gate three to the level that they're that they played Final Fantasy seven at the time. But still, still, well, we don't Reg- know that. Regardless, <laughs> even if I didn't want to compare both games to each other at yeah. the same time, it is like I'm playing both You're, games. Yeah, so it, it's kind of unfair in that aspect. Yeah, but like I, I was still having fun with Final Fantasy VII. Every time I'd get bogged down by Final Fantasy VII, I'd just switch off, give it a few hours or days, and then hop back on on a different day or later time, So and then continue enjoying it. So what exactly about the gameplay loop didn't you like? That's what I'm trying uh, to understand. Yeah, yeah, First for me is combat. Combat. Um, I don't like the JRPG whittled down their numbers with your numbers. It's combat where it's just like, to sum up, it's attack them better than they can attack you. And there's some variety to that. And there's some like items or spells that you might use to switch up that fight. But for the most part, it's do more damage to them than they can do to you. Well, that's- I'm not I'm not a big fan of games that play out like that. So, so you're just talking about 90% of RPGs. Or in exactly. video games. That's like every... Like, what? That's like almost every action video game where you gotta well, bring their numbers the down. The games usually throw in extra features to add a, a level of, like, thinking, critical thinking, where, like, I don't know, maybe it's like Persona 5, where there's, like, obvious vulnerabilities and you memorize which enemies have which vulnerabilities so that you can then take in those, like, enemies into your own team or whatever. There's, like, the whole takedown feature for Persona 5 that causes that similar type of gameplay to still be fun by incorporating other things or you can look at like i don't know baldur's gate just keeps being at the top of my head my mind where you just implement more abilities that change the situation of combat so it's not entirely focused on just doing damage versus taking damage but you also have like and final fantasy has this to a sense but you're not able to do it as well as enemies of like confusion and fear and paralyzation yeah Yeah, but you can't like paralyze you can't consistently paralyze an enemy in a fight and if you do then you just start doing a bunch of damage to them it's not like you paralyze them to keep them away so you can focus on a different area of the combat i don't know if that makes sense at all i'm just saying that like this game is older so i understand why it's the numbers to dwindle down their HP bar before your HP bar dwindles down because that's the way JRPGs were. But I'm not personally a fan of that kind of gameplay. What sets Final Fantasy VII's gameplay apart is the ATB meter. First of all, like you also got to be quick enough to do these things. And if you're not, then you're dead. But also the materia system. The materia system is new when it comes to Final Fantasy VII. It's not like any other magic system in RPGs at the time. Of course, now, because a lot of RPGs, JRPGs take inspirations from specifically Final Fantasy VII. The materia systems were like, yeah, you have this magic and the more you use it, the more it grows. And once 
once you master it, the more it grows, the, the powerful it gets, the more powerful it gets. And once you master it, you get like an extra one for free just because you did the thing. That's like an awesome like rewarding system for using magic and for fighting. So, and yeah, it's a turn-based JRPG where, yeah, you just, you know, you don't really take turns like Pokemon, for example. You just try with your best strategy and you beat the guy. Like that's the thing. Like that's that's yeah. that's pretty standard. And you're I don't know. I think I don't know. I think because if I were to sum up this complaint with how I feel pers like feel when it's happening, it's just that like like yeah, all these things make the combat interesting and change the way it is. But ultimately, whenever I'm in a fight, it feels for the most part like the same fight every time there's is, a new enemy in front of me still feels like the same fight every time is it the speed of how the battles go does that like no i think it's how similar every fight is there's not a lot telling me like oh this fight's gonna be different and then when it is it's pretty memorable but all the rest of the fights are very especially like as you're just maneuvering around the map are just very attack 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 you spell you spell attack attack next attack attack you spell you spell attack attack next you know sure i i can see where you're coming from to me i love it just because you know it's, it's a standard rpg system that almost every video game developer has come to know and love and and taken inspiration from and i'm like yeah this is standard i don't know. i understand what you're saying but i'm glad it's not the story that's driving you away from it it's the gameplay is that correct yeah of course like i i still think the reason why i wanted to go through and give it another try despite how rough of an experience i had the first time playing <laughs> was because of this story that like was super intriguing to me for the little bit that i had played for the a lot that i had heard being a on the internet all the time as someone who plays video games like i hear tons about final fantasy 7 doesn't stop being referenced then like everybody hails it as something amazing i was like okay everybody absolutely loves this story so i want to sit through and see this story and so that's was kind of my big driving motivation through the second playthrough even when I was getting super bogged down. It was like, ah, oh, well, I mean, but the story so far is compelling. So let me get through. Let me grind through these few fights because then eventually I'll have Cloud and Red's next interaction. I don't know. Before we move on, I got to ask, what system were you playing it on? You're playing on a Switch now? Yeah, the Switch has a remastered version on there. In HD uh, version. Remastered in quotes. Yeah, HD yeah. version. Okay, so yeah, that's that's how I mainly play it too. You have the option of turning on three times speed and that ultimate thing where, you know, your limit break is always on and you always get full health and magic and stuff. You didn't want to like just blow through battles just to go through the story using those? Or you could, I mean, you could that, also turn off point, encounters. Well, at that point, I might as well just be on YouTube, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm here to play the game, not uh, to speed like uh, speed watch run, the game. Yeah. Okay, that all right. That's fair. Well, yeah. So Final Fantasy VII is known for its memorable characters and intricate world building. That's like part of it. Also, going to the plot and stuff. What are what are some of your favorite characters? Since I'm gonna assume like you know the story at this point, yeah. right? Okay, and we're yeah, gonna yeah, get yeah. to it. So out of the is it seven? Characters Cloud, Tifa, Aerith, Red 13, Barrett, Sid, Kate Sith. I'm going to call him Kate Sith. I don't give a flying f if it's Kate She or whatever the hell. I know that's the correct pronunciation, but I'm going to call him Kate Sith. Vincent and I Yuffie. It was that's, Kate Sith. that's nine. That's nine characters. Yeah, it's like it reads Kate Sith, but the official pronunciation is Kate She. 
It's so stupid. Sure. Yeah, in terms the characters was like, again, the thing that kept me going, especially through Midgar. I do like Barrett a lot. I think he's just like this fun mix of an angry dude, but also like well-meaning, but also like very clear. Well, all of them have their own traumas, but like very clearly, but not entirely held down by that trauma of his past yeah uh, his whole storyline was very nice and I, and I was invested into his more than most of the other characters oh wow uh and then Aerith because Aerith is fun how can you not right <laughs> like for for your first initial go around with the story of Final Fantasy 7 you have to fall in love with Aerith Aerith is just like goofy yeah and the game is goofy so it's already like very fitting yeah. And then there's also just the aspect of like, everybody seems to be very, for a very goofy story in a lot of moments, everybody is very serious comparatively, which makes Aerith pretty fun. Oh, con- like comparing Aerith with like the rest of the cast? For a good reason too. I yeah. mean, like, like Barrett's in charge of a group of eco-terrorists <laughs> yeah. and uh, Tifa's got like this this whole like kung fu background. I imagine there's some Martial stoic arts. aspect to it. Yeah. But yeah, she's still um, very caring. Yeah. But also like she's caring in a like somber way. Right. Not like a goofy way. Oh, for like, sure. Tifa, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tifa won't like tease nearly as much as Aerith <laughs> does. <laughs> That's so true. Oh my God. What really got me started with Final Fantasy VII is... I don't know if I told this story in part one of our of Final Fantasy. Um, I was in detention, uh, CSI, I think that's what it's called in high school. And I remember it being lunchtime. I was with the rest of the... You know, it was basically the breakfast club. I was with the rest of the kids in the cafeteria and for CSI kids at the school. Or we have to go to lunch, like, before everybody else. So, like, we have the cafeteria, like, empty. And while we were eating, I think... I, I got a notification on my phone. It was a YouTube notification from a Nintendo. And it was announcing Cloud Strife for Smash 4. And I'm like... Uh, oh, okay. Who the hell is this guy? Is another anime sword fighter? I don't, I don't know who he is. So uh, I watched the trailer. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of, it's pretty cool actually. Uh, it's called, it's from this thing called Final Fantasy VII, huh? I've heard of Final Fantasy before. I'm gonna go search it up. So lunchtime ends. We're back in the detention room, and I search up Final Fantasy VII, what it is. And I'm like, oh, this sounds cool. I'm here for like a week. I look up a Let's Play, and I find a Let's Play, and I watched the entire Let's Play within uh, the duration of me being in detention. And Bro, what kind of detention is this? Dude, hi- high where, school where people do don't I care. <laughs> as, I guess that's true. As long as you do the work and you're not, like, causing any trouble, nobody's gonna say, like, oh, you're on your phone watching a video? Whatever, man. You have your headphones on? Cool. Like, whatever, man. You know? Bro, my school's detention would have us uh, rewrite the part of the school, like, student conduct handbook that we got, that we broke the rule of. We'd have to write that section down multiple times until detention ended. Oh, that's very Bart Simpson. I hate that. It sucked. And then, like, the teacher would check uh, afterward. And if you didn't write it down enough times, <laughs> she would make you stay. Wow. Oh, my God. She would count? I, I, I remember the one detention that I had. The one. Uh, 
Yeah, because I, I mean, I was a goody two-shoes high school kid. I gotcha. never got into any trouble. The one detention that I did have, first, was for playing games in classroom, which was great. <laughs> Second, I remember I only wrote it down twice because the first time I wrote it down, I was taking my sweet time to make the handwriting look as beautiful as possible. <laughs> and then she was like, there's five minutes left. And I was like, oh, crap. And so the, the handwriting immediately gets awful wow. from there on out. And then I handed it to her with only like two repeats and she was she just kind of looked at me and I was like, I was trying to have fun with it. She goes, get out of here. And I'm like, woo! <laughs> That's hilarious. But yeah, so that entire week of detention was my first exposure to Final Fantasy 7 and I fell in love with it. Um, not just because of Cloud. Cloud's character is very interesting and the big theme of the entire game is lost and identity. And of course, Cloud goes through that in the most significant way, but everybody else does in their own um, unique ways. But I think the overall plots and the world and just like, you know, really, you know, you know what it was? I think it was Cosmo Canyon. I absolutely love Cosmo Canyon just for like the aesthetic. I love Red 13. Um, I just think he's really cool and really fun, you know? And I don't know, it's it's that whole portion after Midgar where you kind of are actually starting to figure out like more of the mythos. Ethos, mythos, I don't even know. I, I've never understood the differences. But like we understand more of the lore of like what is like the live stream, what is uh, Sephiroth up to and this and that you know and we really get to dive into like the rich history of the planet and the the music the song yeah. for cosmo canyon is one of the best tracks i have ever heard in a video game i just love that like bass tone and then and then this, the melody oh i was in band at the time and we were like picking songs to do at the next recital or whatever and i'm like can we do this one? I play for that whole class and the teacher looks dead at me and she's like, no. strings we don't have any strings and i'm like damn but but that, that would have been fun it would have been so fun i absolutely love this song it's my favorite it's definitely my favorite song in the entire game and just i don't know i i love everything about it but after the detention i decided to get the game myself and see like where i can play it you can play it on ios it's on ios um so i got it and then for like the next month i've been playing on my phone final fantasy 7 and I 100% completed it on my phone first. And then um, when the Switch came out, I eventually got it for the Switch and 100% completed it again. And yeah, I don't know. It's There's just so much about Final Fantasy VII that I love that it's, it's, it's going to take a while, man. But like, <laughs> I love every single character, even Kate Sith, which is like, you know, he, he's, he's the weird one. I don't know. He's like the least... Like, well, I don't know. You say you have a strong like connection it, with Barrett. I, I think 
his storyline was the weakest for me. Interesting. Like, I like it. It's very impactful for his character and stuff, but it didn't resonate with me as much, I think. I absolutely love Red 13 story. I think Vincent, Vincent's whole uh, redemption thing kind of really stuck with me. I absolutely love Vincent. Let me ask you, who's who's like your main party? Who's your main three? My main three? Yeah. Cloud, Aerith, Red 13. Yeah. Okay. I think... It's just... Yeah. Because to me, it's the most fitting of, like, mage, cleric, and... uh, Warrior. Brawn. Warrior. Yeah. Also, just, like, the look of the party, Mm. uh, where where it's, like, boyfriend, girlfriend, and their dog. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) My first playthroughs, I would have... Cloud, Tifa, and Red. And then recently when replaying for this episode, I gave Vincent more of a chance. So it was Cloud, Tifa, and Vincent. And I don't know, this this playthrough, I didn't complete it. I didn't complete my latest playthrough. I don't I already completed the game twice. I don't need to do anymore. That's that's a lot. But there are certain like requirements I make for myself when I replay this game. I have to get limit breaks level four for every single character, including Aerith, which, oh my God, we never talked about what we're going to get there, including Aerith. And that's, (laughs) there's a big reason why we're going to get to it. I get every single optional character, Yuffie and Vincent, and I make sure to find all the weapons. I do like all the big side quests, all the huge materials. I, what else was there? Oh, and I make sure to get everybody's like ultimate weapons and stuff like that. So there's a lot of requirements I make for myself whenever I play the, this game. I got to like, I have to do these certain things and I don't get enough of it. But yeah, anyways, I was playing with Vincent recently and I was, I was using him more as like, like he's in charge of summons and Cloud is in charge of like generic magic and just, you know, overall attacking. And there's Tifa also just racking up high damage. So. Oh, that's fair. Honestly, like it's it's very similar to the comp that I had too. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like, I know my first playthrough initially, I had Cloud, Tifa, and Aerith because I just felt that was right all the time. So my original playthrough, I think it was those three for me as well. Yeah. So where did you leave off in terms of playing? Like, where did you stop? Playing, I stopped at when you run into Barrett at the jail after there's the supposed shooter with a gun for an arm. The golden saucer, yeah. In the golden saucer. So, yeah, I started... uh, I ended right about uh, when you, like, first land into that jail and Barrett tells you everything that happened in his hometown. Yeah, man. See, I don't think it hits hard for me, but it still hits hard, his whole backstory, you know, with his best friend Dean having this daughter... Big Shinra takeover happens and they both lose their arm and stuff like that. And oh my God, it's it's heavy. It's intense. And I feel bad for Marlene. It's a great story of like kind of losing. uh, We talk about the whole like identity and loss uh, themes where like for him, it's that he loses his home, his place in his home, his identity as a influential person in his home, Mm -hmm. but also that he's able to kind of redeem himself uh, and eventually still get into the good graces of the people that felt he had betrayed them. Yeah, and then he does everything possible while like 
taking care of Marlene, Dean's daughter, his best friend's daughter, moving to to Midgar and trying to make right with the only way he knows how with a freaking gun for an arm. Like, come on, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt you're going to be part of a terrorist organization. Go terrorist group. Yeah. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. No, that's that's an interesting part to leave off. So after that, you you first go to the Golden Saucer because you hear Sephiroth is over there. You're trying to find the Black Materia. So after, so this this entire, so we're finally leaving Midgard. All right, people, we're <laughs> we're yeah, like 30 we're, minutes we're in the episode, and we're finally gonna be talking about like what happens after Midgard. This is this is gonna go great, everybody. Uh, <laughs> let's let's go through kind of chronologically, but quickly, right? So we leave Midgard, we go back to hometown. Cloud basically goes through and he's like yo guys so Sephiroth just did some shit so let me tell you what Sephiroth's all about <laughs> and you kind of get you, you kind of get Cloud's whole uh, we get, dreamscape we get the whole, moment yeah we get the whole backstory of the M- Nibelheim incident which is legendary this is the yeah, first but- time where we actually see Sephiroth we see his image and we get that iconic scene of him like stepping back from the fire from and the stuff fire, like that yeah. like dude are you kidding me this is like one of the first instances we ever see our main villain, and I gotta say this now, like before we like really get to Sephiroth later, he he has the same kind of presence as Darth Vader for me. Interesting. His very presence is this menacing, like evil figure, and like of course the theme song, which I'm not even gonna play now. I'm gonna save that for later. But like you know, the Imperial yeah. March. Bum, 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 bum. You know who that is. You know who's coming down that corridor. Same thing with Sephiroth, so let's continue. I don't know, I, I felt Sephiroth to be, like, the beauty of his terror is how he's not there. It's like, ah. almost like, a, what's his name from Cowboy Bebop, uh, who literally looks just like him. Oh. Um, <laughs> vicious. Vicious. But yeah, so Vicious Vicious is like his whole thing. The reason, part of why he's so effectively scary is just that you only see him when he wants you to see him. And I feel like right. that's the same for Sephiroth, where Sephiroth is like, you're not going to really interact with him unless you're seeing the carnage he leaves behind or he specifically wants you to be in the same room as him. And right. then you know things are going to go badly because of that. Yeah, There's never a time where Sephiroth's on the screen and you feel like like you're ready, you know? For sure. After the little getaway at Calm, after the recount of the Nibelheim incident, I'm pretty sure they go towards uh, Cosmo Canyon after that. You get some chocobos, make your way through the swamp. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Yeah. That's where you spot the first like large bit of Sephiroth's carnage, where there's that insane painting of the uh, Midgar Zolom. That he kills on the tree. Yeah, the Midgar Zolom. Yeah, going back to the painting backdrops and all that, like that. That thing was beautifully mm-hmm. scary mm-hmm. <laughs> just showing um, a glimpse of sephiroth's power yeah and then i don't know after that i just went straight to the uh port harbor town place oh junon yeah, yeah junon you're right i went straight to junon harbor i know there's other stuff yeah before junon but i was like we speed running this story and i went straight ahead yeah so it's it's basically like the entire time during this part and to the end of disc one it's cloud in the group is just trailing Sephiroth to the Temple of the Ancients. You're just getting little bits and pieces of hints of like, okay, Sephiroth is going this way. Sephiroth is going that way. Now he's at the Temple of Ancients. How are we going to find the Temple of Ancients, you know? But it's also throwing in a little more information for yeah. you in every of those beats. Like Junon, you get to learn that like Sephiroth is using Genova, his mother, the 
the ancient as like a weapon yeah basically um and you start being like well why is he doing that how is he doing this i know also you run into him one uh, another time that I, while i was playing and i forget but it's another moment where like every time you run into him you get like a little bit more information if you even if he does just kind of wipe the floor or run away right i'm pretty sure after the corel stuff after the golden saucer point is where you're told yeah, go to the Temple of the Ancients because that's where he is. Because his the main motivation for Sephiroth is, at this point is getting the Black Materia to summon Meteor to end the world and stuff like that. Once you get to the Temple of the Ancients, you you finally find like the big reveal of, oh, this is Sephiroth's plan. There's a big ancient mural of like, oh, this Black Materia, it summons this world-ending meteor and seth ross wants to use it so he can absorb like the life stream because the life stream is the blood of the of the planet oh my god it's a whole thing where basically seth ross wants to use the force he wants to absorb the force and become the ultimate being and destroy everything he wants to be god he wants he wants destruction to bring up a new thing which which we see a lot in a lot of stories and stuff you know destroying something to to create something new but i think it's different with sephiroth and maybe this whole thing about sephiroth influenced so much of these story points that we see in media nowadays maybe i think like sephiroth's his sort of goals ambition storyline is very is like nothing unique yeah but it's like how impactful it is playing out in the setting whereas usually you'd have like character like Sephiroth is trying to destroy everything or and become greater because he feels he deserves it like that's like a one-off sort of villain but Sephiroth is the guy yeah. in this case um, and then also because of that builds a lot more reason in the story as to why Sephiroth is trying to end things the way he is yeah so after we find out that the entire temple of the ancients is the black materia and you know once kate sith sacrifice his plush body to turn it into the black materia something interesting happens cloud gets the black materia but then sephiroth shows up and he's like cloud give it to me and there's this sequence that separates cloud's mind with his body and you're controlling like a little kid cloud and you're just watching as your, your body slowly move towards Sephiroth and hands him the black material, the thing that will allow him to destroy the world and there's nothing you can do about it. You can talk to yourself, you can tell yourself to stop, there is nothing you can do to stop yourself from handing over the black material to Sephiroth and that plays in to the big thing about identity and loss. Who is Cloud? Why is he doing this? We're gonna find out, man. I think just seeing that, just the hopelessness in cloud you know clouds like inner kid mind i guess it's it does something you know it's also one of those moments that is like you can only tell a story this way through a video game medium yeah because it's like the way that they have the scene go about whereas if it's like a movie right it's just going to be like you're watching cloud kind of visually struggle yeah eventually hands it over this is one where being able to play the game makes a like drastic difference in how the scene feels because you're playing this tiny little thing moving a tiny little version of cloud moving around being unimpactful no matter what you do moving about the screen you just have to watch as it happens but Mm -hmm. you can still interact with everything that's happening Mm -hmm. like that that's something i feel like also that final fantasy 7 i i don't know if they started this but they certainly used it a lot and very strongly of having these moments of like 
allowing it the game to stay gameplay mm-hmm. while still t- t- telling a story moment mm-hmm. instead of just cutscening it. Oh, that's a good point. The way video games, especially with Final Fantasy VII, starting there, it has changed how storytelling can be made. You know, like it can. It's- I don't know if it changed how storytelling can be made because I still think other games did this, but I think it did. It did use the technique very well. Yeah. Of kind of exploring how to tell a scene outside of the conventional sort of show everything happening like let the player be a part of what is happening yeah it it really shows that even video games can be a great a great medium for storytelling at like on par with movies and tv shows yeah i mean if any game were to show it'd be this one yeah for sure so cloud gives sephiroth the black materia Oh no, we can't have that happen. So he immediately blacks out Aerith, gone. Where'd she go? She rushes off to stop Sephiroth where like in like Cloud's dream, she's like, hey Cloud, thank you for everything. Uh, You're great and all, but like, I'm gonna go stop him while you're like knocked out, okay? I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for the planet, you know? I'm gonna pray to it. (laughs) You don't, don't follow me. I, I, I got this, okay. Thank you. Bye. And of course, since Cloud is like a little puppy, the group follows Aerith to the eight, the Forgotten City or whatever. And <clears throat> this is where this is this is this is it. We 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 got to this point. Longtime listeners of the show might notice a a constant bit between uh, Joe and I. I think that. Whenever Final Fantasy VII is brought up, Joe will spoil the biggest point of the the entire game, and I would always bleep it in the actual episode, and of course because it's important. Um, bro, it's so it's such an old game, bro. What do you listen, mean? it it doesn't matter how old there there are some things that it doesn't matter how old they are. It's not fair to spoil certain aspects. All right, bro. I knew about this. Mo- Actually, I'm not gonna talk about it. Like we're we're not. I knew about like far before I had played this game, because of just how often it is mentioned. Let me have this moment, man. So the reason why this is such a big deal to me and to anybody else who has played or experienced this game for the first time is. Aerith, she has an infectious personality that you can't help but like love, you know, and like get close to, want to get close to. Yeah, Cloud is falling in love with her. You kind of do too. Throughout this entire game so far, she's like the best healer, right? She's a dedicated healer. Of course, you're going to have her on your team. So as a party member, she's already like pretty valuable and you're going to invest in her because she's like, yeah, she's the mage character. You know, I have to. But also just her actual personality, her character really grows on you especially during the golden saucer like date scene because most people will go on that date with Aerith unless you go out of your way to do it with Tifa and especially Barrett and even Yuffie for some reason you really fall in love with her you really invest emotionally and literally as you play the game because without knowing you will throw all your like magic ups and boost her things, get her all the best items, get her ultimate weapon and stuff like that, whatever. So once you catch up with Aerith in the Forgotten City, in the Temple of the Ancients, you see her praying to the planet for help because she herself is the last descendant of the Ancients, the Cetra. When Cloud approaches her, he gets controlled 
by Sephiroth, and Sephiroth tells you, Cloud, to kill her. He draws his sword, and he is struggling. He is struggling to not kill her, because the more you progress, the closer the Buster Sword gets to Aerith. And there's this moment of like, oh my god, is Cloud gonna attack Aerith? Is this gonna happen? Cloud breaks out of that, but then out of nowhere, Sephiroth comes busting down through the ceiling, stabs Aerith through the body, and she dies. There's this big shock that rocked so many people's worlds when it comes to this game that's like, is this real? What? Use a phoenix down! What do you mean she's dead? Just use, a, use the item that you use to revive a character! No? No. This game is one of the first games to actually take something that away that you've invested so much in. And yeah, there's that emotional impact and then there's that actual like as a player impact and it impacts the characters within the game too. So that's a big moment and I hate being the one to take that those emotions away from someone when they've never played Final Fantasy 7 because I think it's worth the wait. I think that's something everybody's got to discover on their own if they even care. Fair. It, it is a very impactful moment, but I think part of that is why it's like such a probably one of like the most told spoilers in games just because of how long ago it's been, how impactful of a moment it's been. Yeah. Like anybody who knows about Final Fantasy VII knows of this moment mm -hmm. um, with very, I feel like few exception, but I could be wrong on that. That's just me assuming. Mm -hmm. At the same time, like for even for me who didn't who knew it was coming it's still a moment that's like ah damn this moment is coming isn't it yeah and i imagine you who've played through the game a few times also always gets to that moment like okay here it, we go it actually gets me every single time and like I'm, I'm getting emotional right now just talking about it but like still playing through the game i still tear up just watching that scene watching her white materia bounce down into the water and then Right after that happens, Sephiroth just leaves, he dips, and leaves a Genova cell for you to fight. Her theme is playing the entire time you're fighting this boss. And it's, it's, it's sad, you know, and it's one of the first times in my life where a game, a video game, like really play with my emotions. And then like after that fight, Cloud just not burying her, but like letting her drift sink in the water and stuff like that. Yeah, man, it's, it, it gets me every time. And I play this game like a dozen times already. Yeah. Uh, also, going back to that sort of whole like synergy between like or, or storytelling through gameplay. Yeah. Um, you mentioned it already, but having that uh, hit to your time in the form of like how many levels it you've invested into her, how how much oh, yeah. like 
uh, probably money you've spent for items for, oh, for her, sure. th- just things go- like that. Just getting her, her ultimate weapon like in the Temple of Ancients, that's like 20 minutes before she dies, man. And if you didn't know any better, she died with her ultimate weapon. You're like, and also getting her limit break, her level four limit break. It's not an easy thing to do. You know, it's it for early game. You got to go out of your way for doing that. And yeah, to get it all taken the, away. Which yeah, which makes because you already have the impact that like a show or movie is able to uh, give you through the narrative. Yeah, uh, of this like. Uh, story of this character that you're starting to get along with and Cloud's starting to get along with and um, the the whole starting to find her place within this group. Um, but then you also have like the actual human element of time that is like significantly larger than like, like show is going to have like 40 minute episodes. You're going to see a character on screen for a couple minutes of those episodes. Yeah. Uh, whereas Tifa is probably going to be mm-hmm. on your screen, interacting with your characters for hours before this moment happens. Yeah. Tens of hours. So it's another moment where like this game sort of showed that how strong games can be for storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the most impactful moments in video game history. And I've recently, just this uh, past weekend, I've um, 100% completed Sea of Stars. And to not spoil it for you, Patrick, because you should definitely (laughs) play it, check out my Sea of Stars review that happened like months ago, everybody. There's a big moment that is similar to what happens in Final Fantasy VII that happens in Sea of Stars. That's all I can say. And it's... Aerith dies in Sea of Stars. Aerith, Aerith specifically dies in Sea of Stars. Yes, Aerith <laughs> is a cameo character in Sea of Stars. And no. she gets killed by Sephiroth, actually. <laughs> Sephiroth! <as well. laughs> Sephiroth is also in Sea of Stars, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, like, even to games that come out this past year, this year, are still following the blueprints that Final Fantasy VII uh, left. But moving on, <laughs> after <laughs> um, yeah, that, so, that's the so end of this one. Yeah, th- this ends disc one. It's also a pretty far point into the game, so I figured we we could stick take a step away from the narrative real fast. Okay, digest all of that about Aerith, but also just kind of like. Uh, have a little bit of fun. So, Jared, we've introduced you to the concept of uh, icebergs before (laughs) for different sort of media. (laughs) So, right in front of me, I have this game for the Final Final Fantasy VII Iceberg. uh, Where I have have one item from each tier of the iceberg and I want you to tell me what you know about it as we get progressively deeper and deeper into Final Fantasy VII. It's this about story outside of the game. Yes, this is about Final Fantasy VII specifically, the original. Because if you're going to do the entire series, I'll be like, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. no. (laughs) You're good, you're good. And these aren't lore related for the most part, but more interesting facts surrounding the game. Interesting. So first off, we have uh, a classic among anybody who knows anything about Final Fantasy VII characters. What can you tell me about the Italian Senate incident? Oh, um, isn't where somehow like a porn hentai video of Tifa and maybe Cloud was like projected into like the big screens or something? Yep. So in the <laughs> Italian setting, Senate Zoom meeting, 
uh, it got hacked by an anonymous troll who played a pornographic video of Tifa. After that, the community was obviously loving it. There was <laughs> fan art made of Tifa draped in an Italian flag, fans <laughs> joking that Aerith was behind the hack, and... Plenty of people embarrassed due to the fact that the incident was seen by a Nobel Prize winning scientist. Love it. So that's the tip of the iceberg. We're talking about the sky. Now we have the top side of the iceberg where we have Final Fantasy VII Machina Bridged. Do you know anything about this? I do not. I'm assuming okay. it's like, I know there are other, there's like this compilation of Final Fantasy VII's stuff, like other games and also like of course, the, there's Advent Children, but there's also, like, other animated shorts, kind of. I'm assuming it's one of those shorts, but a bridge, like, the Dragon Ball and Yu-Gi-Oh stuff. Kind of. You're, you're getting to it. So this was a series made on YouTube by a group called Team Four Star. Okay. That is a more humorous interpretation of the game. Oh. They replaced the text of the game with a dub of their own and oh. edited it for pacing. Um, and it's kind of just the sort of, like, fan dub of the plot of the game with a lot more of a goofy comedic lens. I honestly think you'd love it. That's why I threw it on here. That sounds fun. Um, I watched through the first hour of it before recording here today. Yeah. And I, I can recommend if you're a Final Fantasy VII fan, this is going to be a good time. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's top side. We get a little bit deeper now. We're under the water. We're in the slums of the iceberg. Funny. Don't ask me. Don't ask me. This is just what we the iceberg that I found and the categories it named itself. Well, yeah, the slums, like the area in Midgar, underneath the plates. Oh, you're gonna love all of these then. So here we have Tifa and Cloud under the high wind. Oh yeah, it's it's the scene. Oh my god, it's a great scene at the end of this too, where before that Cloud tells everybody, hey, we're about to go kick Sephiroth's butt. We're about to fight him. Go take some time for to be with your loved ones and families and you can decide whether to not come back because you want to stay with your loved ones or come back and help us fight. So they, everybody leaves except for Cloud and Tifa because they only have each other. And they have the entire day with themselves and the scene ends off like, I'm assuming they were sleeping underneath the high wind, like outside, and they just have a beautiful moment. And when they get back, uh, they see everybody else there and, and Bear was like, hey, we saw you guys cuddling down there. And Tifa was like, no! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a great um, moment. Yeah, so so you got you got the scene aspect wise. The there is an aspect where the community kind of feels like this sort of moment heavily implies that Tifa and Cloud banged and everybody saw. Right. And, and that's kind of the fan theory of that moment because there are multiple fade to blacks during that scene between the two of them. Sure. I I won't believe it just because it's throughout the entire game it's like a big will-they-won't-they they type of deal, and especially since the the wound that Aerith's death left on Cloud is still too fresh. Fair. But I, I always like them as a couple better. Okay, okay. We move a little deeper now, and we reach the life stream. Here we have Sephiroth and the movie Jaws. I got an image in my mind. I'm thinking the Jaws poster, the original Jaws poster of the lady swimming and Jaws is coming up, right? I'm thinking the water is replaced by the live stream. The girl in the poster is Aerith, and Jaws is Sephiroth with a sword like coming up. That is pretty good. That is pretty good. <laughs> Honestly, that's that should be an image that is made. <laughs> 
I think you're looking too much into the live stream part. The live stream is just like the category of the iceberg. Oh, gotcha. Sorry. That's getting deeper and deeper. Gotcha. No, you're good. You're good. So the answer for this one is going into how Sephiroth isn't introduced until the party leaves Midgar and you don't see him until Cloud's flashback. Yeah. You don't even run into him until much later. Yeah. Uh, the developers were inspired by Jaws for Sephiroth where the horror concept of not seeing the monster even though you know oh. it's there is used. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. So, so that goes back to earlier when you said he was like Darth Vader. I almost kind of like paused because I felt like it, like my head ah. immediately was like, I was thinking more like Jaws or Alien because you don't, because Darth Vader is always there. Yeah, <laughs> well, what I meant. His, his menace, the way he is menacing isn't that he isn't there, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think I just think like the overall presence that these character leaves on like the impression these characters leave on the audience of like, oh, this guy is evil. This guy is scary. I think they match. Oh, sure. Yeah, I get that. All right. We move a little deeper onto the iceberg and we now reach the northern cave. <laughs> what do you know about the secret cow level? The only thing that I know that has a secret cow level is Diablo. Okay, you're on the right track. <laughs> I don't know. Is there like a Final Fantasy reference in that secret cow level in Diablo? There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so the PC re-release of the game uh, had an Easter egg where if you use a save crystal at a certain point in the northern cave, the location is saved as secret cow level. <laughs> uh, being a reference to the Easter egg and meme of the secret cow level in Diablo. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's also like so such a small little thing. Cause it's such a small little room of the cave. Yeah. And then if you leave and go back and save in the same spot, then it just goes back to being the northern cave. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Now we move lower into the Forgotten City. Jared, what can you tell me about the link between IRL terrorism and Final Fantasy VII? Does that have something to do with the name Avalanche or... No. no, I don't. I genuinely don't think you'll get this one. If you do get it, it's very impressive. We're really deep <laughs> into the iceberg right now. <clears throat> I'm, I'm gonna assume that it's just like you know terrorists taking, trying to take down a giant corporation because they're uh, using the planet's resources and killing the planet. Eco terrorism. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, maybe if that corporation is the United States, then that would work for this answer. It does. Uh, <laughs> Osama bin Laden had fa Final Fantasy 7 on his infamous hard drive. <laughs> oh my goodness. Even the most inglorious bastards of the world can't avoid getting their hands on some Final Fantasy Listen, 7. Listen, man. It's a great game. It can be Here's enjoyed by everybody. The fact that he had it on his hard drive, too. I personally think that he pirated it. Yeah, right? <laughs> he couldn't go anywhere without it. <laughs> All right, and then we reach the bottom layer of the iceberg. We have New Game Plus layer. Jared, what do you know about the Tifa's Programmer PC port ad? Absolutely nothing. I've never heard of this. Okay, so before me and you were born in the 90s, they decided to release an ad to try to get some d uh, programmers for the PC port for Final Fantasy VII. Okay. This ad featured an image of Tifa with a side banner saying, quote, you want a piece of me, programmer boy? Go ahead. Hit me with your best shot. But be <laughs> forewarned. You gotta be a damn good programmer to work on Final Fantasy VII for Windows 95. <laughs> it's simply the hottest role-playing game going, and we intend to keep it that way. We've got more mind-altering stuff in the works, too games that make mere mortal programmers weak in the knees. But hey, 
If you really think you've got what it takes, send us your resume. You just might get a shot at the title. <laughs> this is a funny. real ad. Oh my for god! For Final Fantasy VII. Wow. I mean, I I will not put it past '90s advertisement to use women for advertisement, especially that, somebody who looks like Tifa. It's, no, that's. <laughs> It's surreal looking at the thing because, like, it's Tifa as, like, the Final Fantasy VII sprite. Yeah. Tifa. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, like... That's even better! It's, the, it's still, like, blocky and, like... <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. That's funny. That's even better. I, I was imagining, like, you know, like, a good artful rendition of what Tifa actually looks like, you know? Uh, nope. That's that's funny, dude. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my Final Fantasy VII iceberg. Oh, that's fine. I think I got most of them. Yeah. No, you did really well. Thank you. That was great. <laughs> but yeah, that concluded disc one. Let's move on to disc two. So what happens is the group follows Sephiroth to the northern crater. This is where Genova collided with the planet in the first place in ancient history. It is revealed that the man they are pursuing is not the original Sephiroth but is a shape-shifting clone of Genova, as are many of the others gathering to be killed in the reunion. You know, the, all the hooded figures and stuff like that. Cloud finds out he is also a clone of Sephiroth and can't reconcile with his existence or his past, which is also part of the theme of Lost and Identity, which also, yeah, one of the biggest losses in Cloud's life is Aerith, so Lost. He is and once again- identity. And Identity, yeah. He is once again controlled by Genova's uh, slash Sephiroth, uh, enabling the latter to summon Meteor. The planet responds by summoning gigantic creatures that serve as its immune systems called weapons. And what's very interesting about this whole segment of the game of disc one already starting off like this is right before you even encounter Sephiroth and slash Genova, Cloud gives the black materia to any party member of your choosing, right? And you go in with your main three. You do the thing. You do the battles. You do whatever. You find out the big truth of Sephiroth. He's in that cocoon because what happened in Nibelheim and all that stuff. And while Sephiroth was controlling Cloud, he makes that character, that party member that you gave the black materia to, give it back to him. He just... Sephiroth manipulates Cloud to manipulate his friend to give him the black materia to then destroy the world. Like, wow, that's a lot. Like, this entire segment where it's just lore dumping, exposition, exposition. It's very easy to get confused during this part because you're like, wait a minute, that wasn't Sephiroth that killed... Aerith? Technically not. That was a Genova cell that was being controlled by Sephiroth. So it wasn't physically Sephiroth, but it was Sephiroth. Identity. Loss in identity. Yeah, it's understandable once you, like, get into the game a little more. But in that moment, you are, like, as mind as the rest of the cast. <laughs> yeah, right? So with the weapons coming up, which is just, are just like these big kaiju monsters that are really cool looking, to be honest. Like, you know, Pacific Rim. That's what they look like. Uh, Sephiroth makes the weapons think that the source of the, of the destruction is not him because the entire purpose of the weapons is they act as antibodies for the planet. They go out and destroy like whatever is going to do harm to the planet. And that's it. So, of course, the main harm is Sephiroth. But Sephiroth's like, 
actually is not me. So you got to go out there and find it. So therefore, they're going to destroy everything in their path. And all of this, all the, the, the awakening of the weapons, it forces a crack in the ground to open up and swallow Cloud into the live stream. And every, the entire party is arrested by Shinra. So now we're at the midway point of the game. This is the point where apparently the new game, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, should stop with the arrest of everybody else and Cloud being swallowed into the live stream and weapons, multiple weapons, they're like, there's like five, I think, are wreaking havoc across the world. And then the game's like, I will right, we'll see you in four years. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> I um, cannot imagine. I cannot wait to see. I actually, no, I can wait because I don't want to go through it again. Seeing Eret's <laughs> death in the remake or in I'm the waiting, rebirth. I'm if it, waiting if it's for gonna all happen. of the remake games to come out before I play them. Yeah, that's what um, I'm doing too. Because I think it it does kind of ruin the the experience personally to kind of separate these parts of the story by entire like three four year breaks. Yeah. Because then you just you forget a lot of the stuff that like might have been more rewarding, feels fresh in your mind. At the same time, I haven't played the remakes. Maybe it is just like all you need is a brief summary and you're good to go. Yeah, uh, what I know about the remake, the first disc, is um, there are things. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's an amazing game. Uh, there are things that are that happen that don't happen in the original game, and there's like these new like dementor looking enemies called whispers and they're like listen man there's something wrong with the timeline or or fate or destiny or whatever this isn't supposed to happen we're supposed to correct it so that makes me think like there's a lot of out of place new content in the remake of course in terms of story so there's a lot of things that are the same but then there are things that seem similar but are different which is really cool take on it so what i'm thinking what if Aerith doesn't die in Rebirth? Maybe she doesn't! Who Dude, knows? I need you to take that uh, can of copium that is next to you <laughs> and go ahead and put that away. We, we don't have time We don't have time for you to think that Aerith is going to live. Aerith's not going to live, man. <laughs> I agree. I'm she, sorry. I think she has to die. Like like how Spikes has to like be thrown out that window in the church. Mm-hmm. Aerith has to die. I, that's what I think, too. I don't want it to happen. What I think will be a cool change, yes, but I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, future me, as of this recording, gets a PS5 by the time this episode releases, and I can play these games. I don't know. Dude, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> the remakes are, like, and we talked a bit about this before yeah. recording as we've kind of been prepping for this. The remakes, for me, are going to be, like, my re-attempt to play through this experience of mm, this Final Fantasy uh -huh. story. Because the again the biggest thing that bogs me down in this game is just its age. Yeah, and I'm hoping that even if it isn't like an insanely better experience, if I can just get past the grapes that I had with Final Fantasy VII original. Yeah, with this remake, I'm happy. And that's what I've seen a lot of the reviews for this game as well. Because I've seen a lot of critiques because of the changes of the story and how they're not fitting this this and that. But I've personally been more intrigued by the reviews that are going, hey, listen, this game isn't the same as it was before. But also, if you weren't able to play the original game for whatever reason, this is a good substitute, is the reviews I saw for the Midgar 
uh, remake. Right. That I'm hoping that once the full series comes through, I'm going to wait for reviews for all of the games as they come out. If it all still looks favorable, I'm really, I I'm just hope I can still experience playing through this story instead of just having watched it to satisfy my curiosity of the series. Oh, I totally understand what you mean. Like I said earlier, uh, after watching that Let's Play, I had to start playing the actual game, just like with Xenoblade Chronicles during our special with Jugger Conroy. That's, you know, what I said about Xenoblade. So, I hope... It's, it's yeah. always such a more interesting experience to play through these games, because even when they're just purely narrative, there's like an aspect of either you're making the decisions yeah. you're not like actually making decisions the game's leading you down a certain set of paths it's already prepared right. but it feels like you're making the decisions there's also like you don't just watch the bad guy ruin everything and then you watch yourself fix the situation no you watch the bad guy ruin everything and then you get to be the one to take him down yeah and even if you're not like as interested in like even if you don't intentionally think that's a fulfilling experience for most people that's why they like playing games they like being the person who does the story beats mm-hmm. see, that's why storytelling in video games can be more impactful than watching a movie or a tv because your your hands are on the controller you are making everything happen to an extent like things are happening directly to you at your pace and you get to decide what you're going to do next. I totally understand what you mean. And, and I hope you do get this opportunity. And I think it's it's smart to want to wait for all three to come out. I think that's what I'm going to do. I might, if, if I do get a PS5 by like this point, uh, by, by this episode comes out, I think I'm just going to start uh, Remake Then Rebirth. Because I think by the time I finish completing both ginormous games... The third one might not be too far off. I don't know. I don't know. Like, big games still don't take more than, like, a year to beat, you know? True. But, like, also, I've started the Crisis Core remake last year, and I'm just at the final boss, and there's so much more to do, like, in terms of side questing stuff to complete it, you know? Like, it's a lot. Fair. I guess I don't I don't know how JRPG these games are going to be with, yeah. like, side content. Yeah. Because that is something people are also really worried about for these remakes that I imagine the devs aren't just going to sit there and ignore those concerns. Yeah, and I'm sure they're going to add, like, new stuff. Um, there's already, like, a lot of differences with Rebirth in terms of, like, what happens in Disc 2 and stuff like that. You know, like, there's a bunch more side quests, of course, new characters, new ways to traverse, you know? A lot of added content, so I think it's going to... It's still going to be hefty, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I, that's that's what I'm <clears> hoping <throat> for. Yeah. So, like we said, this is the midpoint of the game. Rebirth should end here, so we're just going to keep going with Cloud in the live stream somewhere and Shinra capturing, arresting the rest of the team. Shinra is getting them ready for execution, but also trying to figure out a way how to stop Meteor somehow and kind of profit off that. They eventually escape thanks to a weapon like showing up saying, hey, Junon, I see your giant gun. I'm going to destroy you. So that's a big distraction for uh, the team to escape on the high wind. Sid's main air carrier, baby. It's it's awesome. I love the freaking high winds. Great. That, even just the way it looks. Yeah, right? Like, it's such a cool looking airship. Yeah. And I love how it moves. I love how the, the uh, different transformations it gets. It gets like three throughout the game. 
It's so cool and just cinematic wise and I love like going like on the insides and stuff. It's like your home base, you know, it's awesome. Later, the group finds Cloud in a small town on the opposite end of the planet, rendered catatonic by his psychological breakdown and being overwhelmed by the planet's live stream. So just Mako Isn't he in a wheelchair? He's in a wheelchair, yeah. He's like, he's a vegetable at this point. Again, going back to like gameplay stuff, like the image of having your protagonist in the first character you play as, the character you probably played the most as, on a wheelchair unable to be played yeah like it stuff like this is not stuff you see games do and yet it was so effective in this one and tifa changes to the party lead now and and after you find cloud she stays with cloud so now sid is the new party leader and then you gotta do some other stuff like you can do the four condor stuff you know or take down a weapon i think oh yeah you gotta fight ultimate weapon as soon as you find cloud and tifa decides to stay with them you fight ultimate weapon it it destroys the town and plunders both cloud and tifa into the live stream again and now this is where like the really confusing stuff happens in the game i think for me um it only took me a few playthroughs to actually understand what was going on what about you i i think the synopsis that i saw kind of made it make more sense right. I, I haven't seen the specific moment for this part yeah so thankfully i am not as confused <laughs> right uh so while they're in there tifa and cloud take a journey through cloud's subconscious and goes through like kind of backtracks through the entire nibelheim incident to just put his mind back together to show that what cloud thought he was ex soldier first class that he was never that he that was zach fair the original person who owned the master sword before cloud he's not the i'm sorry i misspoke he's not the original owner of the buster sword but he was owner before cloud um zach was the soldier first class that was in nibelheim with sephiroth and cloud was just a normal grunt he never made it to soldier so with all his memories intact and now he knows who he truly is and which plays into lost and identity the theme again he remembers that sephiroth destroyed their town nibelheim and he thought he killed him he thought like he fell down that hole in the macro reactor and and thought he killed sephiroth but of course not he hadn't failed at all he was, um, he had actually disassociated from his own identity and taken on the identity of Zack, who has accepted into the soldier program of Shinra and stuff like that, which Cloud, like I said, failed at accomplishing. This resolves the confusion about Cloud thinking he was Eris's first love from long ago because it was actually Zack. Zack was Eris's first relationship, real, actual relationship. Then, like, but still before the game, Zack and Cloud were experimented on by Hojo, the evil scientist. Who's responsible for bringing back Genova? Zack died protecting Cloud on their way back to Midgar. And this is when Cloud decided to become a mercenary for hire and joined Avalanche and loops back to the beginning of the game. This is where Cloud's big redemption of finding who he is comes into play. Now, after all this, after the group learns that Aerith was successful in, in summoning Holy and coming out of that live stream with Tifa and finally knowing who he is, this is where 
his redemption starts and the whole loss and identity thing kind of like comes back in full circle. I hope all that makes sense. It's a it's a whole like it's a whole ordeal thing of yeah. trying to understand this and is, explain. This is one of those moments in the story where like they're showing you a bit of a thing that's like deeper into the lore that is also going to be expanded on yeah. in multiple other games. There's a few more of those that happen now that we've passed the halfway point. Um, <laughs> because now we're reaching like literal world ending affairs. And yeah. so because of that, we're reaching also parts of the plot that are like larger than the game itself. Yeah, this is this this part of the story too. the Zach and Cloud realizing his identity thing, I feel like is less of an exciting narrative trial to overcome for most of the players here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is more of a like rewarding moment for those of the players who like followed the series in a sense mm. because it's, it's like deep lore and then they're getting this like deep lore that will also then get expanded upon later. Yeah, we um, get an entire game from this entire Nibelheim inc- incident, which is uh, Crisis Core, where you play as Zack and you go through, oh, who was the original owner of the Buster Sword? How did Zack get it? You literally live through the Nibelheim incident and so on and so forth up until this point where Zack dies and, and Cloud gets the Buster Sword. Yeah. And like I, I always found that to be like this cl- how Cloud's story is kind of just this like confusing situation where he's try- he's like constantly trying to be more than who he actually is. Yeah, I mean the amount of times the dude says that he's from Soldier is like at the point where you're like, okay, Cloud, we get it. Well, I mean he actually believed it. He thought Zach's memories were his. That's like that's part of that's where the whole like yeah they were experimented on for four years, man, by Hojo. Uh, yeah, after well, the Nibelheim that's, incident. That, that's what I'm saying. And like, so like Cloud thinks that he is Zack, that he was the soldier yeah. at the same time. Like, and you start to look at, if you go back a lot of Cloud's moments oh, gotcha. and, be, and they start to make a lot more sense. Like the fact that he's so adamant about the fact that he was in soldier and has to mention <laughs> it a few times at the start of the game Yeah, is like another one of these sort of like like is he trying to overcompensate like not overcompensate but like reaffirm it for himself because he's not entirely convinced gotcha or maybe he is entirely convinced and is just trying to like overcompensate yeah um because he feels because he is chump change compared to zach (laughs) he is a nobody comparatively to zach yeah so i feel when i look back after learning this and like playing through there were a lot of moments where it almost feels like Cloud is still the young version of himself where he's trying to, like, be a soldier, but he's not. You look at the flashback scene with him and Sephiroth where he thinks he's where he thinks he's Zack. And even in that cutscene, he's still, oh, yeah, I'm the greatest. And, how, yeah, take a picture <laughs> with me and all this stuff that's, like, very clearly, like, a large ego. Not large ego, but, like very proud of who he is in soldier despite not being that it's like it, again identity it's like this it's big old blur and i it's fun to look at this scene and then see how much it affects or like how it shows in cloud before you know this effect about him yeah um if you played crisis core or know the story or know just zach Zack is a complete opposite of Cloud where, or, or almost all the main characters in this entire series, Zack is the only person that it knows exactly who he is. He knows who he is, he knows his purpose, and I think it's just a great contrast to Cloud. Uh, and even then, like, the 
great contrast to Cloud, and yet Cloud's still thinking he is all that. And yeah. More. It's definitely like, like you mentioned earlier, first two times you play through it, uh, I don't think you'll really like understand slash yeah. appreciate this moment, but this moment broken down is a very strong moment for Cloud as a character and the series as a whole. For sure. And so so we're after this, we're just one more act until the end of this two, which is the party, you go out after it like everybody reunites after all this stuff. The group sets out to destroy the weapons all you only destroy two or three. Emerald weapon and ruby weapon are like endgame bosses, which you don't have to do. They're optional, but you got to destroy like the platinum weapon and ultima weapon if you want to get Cloud's ultimate weapon, of course, it's, which is very confusing. There's weapon, ultimate weapon, then there's the ultimate weapon you get. It's, oh my God, it's naming conventions in the, the 90s. Weapon slots we- <laughs> for your characters. <laughs> <laughs> You end up fighting against the mad scientist Hojo, which, by the way, he is Sephiroth's father, like, biological father, who has channeled an enormous amount of livestream energy to help him destroy the planet. So the Junon gun got moved to Midgar, and they used that gun initially to destroy a weapon that was attacking Midgar. Now Hojo's like, all right, now I'm going to shoot it to Sephiroth because... I want to give my son a boost to destroy the world. Cool? Cool. I'm going to do that. Now, Kate Sith, who is actually a Shindra spy, who is Reeves, another character that we saw in Disc 1, he warns the group, hey, this is happening. Hojo's being weird. We got to stop him. So they go to stop him. And I always make sure to have Barrett and Vincent in my party. Not only uh, for Barrett to like get his ultimate weapon because you need Barrett in your party to get it, but Vincent and Hojo have like a deep history with each other because Sephiroth's actual mom's Lucretia, which Vincent was in love with and proposed to, but she said no because she loved Hojo and Hojo impregnated her and injected Genova cells into her womb while she was pregnant with Sephiroth and now we have Sephiroth. It's a whole deal and I feel so sorry for Vincent, but I love Vincent so much. He's such a cool character and it's just a great redemption thing, full circle, you know, for beating Hojo with Vincent and I absolutely love it. And all that to say is after you fight Hojo, all there is to do is go to the Northern Crater where Sephiroth is and beat him. So after you fight Hojo, after you visit Midgar again for the second time, this is the end game, baby. This is the end of disc two. It's It's been a journey so far, right? I mean, like, but I think also here is to where, like, the game really starts setting in, like, at the same time, like, yeah, this is, this is it. Like, you get, uh, around here is where you get, like, the big old scene that we just talked about where everybody hops on the ship together for, like, the last time. Everybody yeah. gets, like, break, decide if they want to come back, and if they do come back, it's, it's like, this big old reunion scene, and, like, all right, here we go, everybody, all together, and, like, Scenes like that that kind of tell you, like, okay, we're we're here. We're here. We're in the end game. This is the last location. When you start this three, you're already, like, at the northern crater. You're just... Everybody's just ready to go. So, like, that's really the only big story thing to do is to beat the game. Everything else is just clean up work, fight the weapons, do all the quests, chocobo breed, get all the materials, do all that stuff, whatever, if you want to. I certainly did. But we're not going to talk about all that because we already mentioned it a little bit, so... And we've been at this for a while now. Yeah, man. So <laughs> There's a lot to this game. So the climactic moment, right? Cloud and the party descend into the uh, northern crater, and they all eventually meet up with the real Sephiroth. Shirtless Sephiroth. Well, not yet. Not yet, but he's about to be. 
He's about to be shirtless. So, all this time, all this preparing to finally get to Sephiroth. Once you hear this theme, there's... You can write an entire essay on just the song by itself. There's so many parts where the theme One Winged Angel fits so well to the character of Sephiroth. Angels, you know, benevolent beings, but this guy, he ain't that at all. Some chords of the music, how it starts, you know, it's kind of like slasher horror film. And then there's the descending melodies and stuff with the pianos. Oh my goodness. See, one winged angel, fallen angel. Oh my God, it all works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to get to that too with like the one winged, one winged angel essentially saying fallen angel because, you know, can't, can't fly with one wing. And in which I think the one winged angel also sums up Sephiroth very well to where he thinks he has this great vision of what the world is going to be but that's him looking at it as if he is above everything else in it so one winged angel kind of serving really well to be like he sees himself as above it but he's also not as pure as an angel is going to be yeah and therefore it's kind of like it works so well I love the one-winged angel just name for him. It's so good. The theme, like literally chanting his name to me when I when I hear it, I'm thinking of of all the other like um, Sephiroth clones just in the background singing the the vocals to the chorus and stuff like that with this song. But man, that this boss fight is a three-phase boss fight where the first phase, all of the characters fight Sephiroth at the same time. All nine characters, you can control three at a time. And it's a great moment because you're attacking different parts of Sephiroth of how he is in this like weird cocoon state or whatever. And if you did everything and you made sure to level up your characters to 99, Sephiroth's level also increases to match that. So, you thought it was going to be easy? No, this is still going to be a hard fight because this is freaking Sephiroth, man! So, after the entire party beats his first form, you get to the ultimate, like, actual one-winged angel form, the whole, like, holy thing where he starts summoning Meteor, the one-and-a-half-minute-long cutscene of just (laughs) Meteor going through each planet in the solar system and just destroying everything until he gets to Earth or he gets to the planet Gaia whatever. And then doing, like, a third of your health. Yeah, right? It's a hard <laughs> fight if you don't know what you're doing initially. Like, actually, it's well, really hard. I, I mean, more in the sense, like, uh, everybody talks about it, but I feel like I want to throw it in my hat with, like, how comedically silly the meteor cutscene is. <laughs> is you're watching this dude literally destroy planets, and then it hits you, and it does a third of your health. Yeah, right? It's like, <laughs> either... Planets are made of paper mache, <laughs> or the party is on some real shit. Cause like, yeah, <laughs> it's so dumb that you have to sit there for ninety seconds, and it just like <laughs> sl- just moves your health bar down a little bit. It's such an amazing like scene. It's such like oh, this is the finale, you know. And after you beat that form, I think what comes next is one of like the greatest cinematic fights. Ever is where now this is where you fight shirtless Sephiroth. It's just a one on one duel between Cloud 
and Sephiroth. Now, to be fair, it's all cinematic. You don't actually, like, fight, fight, you know? You just see this cutscene that cuts back to Cloud, back to Sephiroth, like an old samurai movie, while slowly you're waiting for your limit meter to uh, fill up. And if you haven't gotten Cloud's final limit break, Omni Slash, and you don't know what it is, when you press A, limit break, Omni Slash. Oh, what is that? Click this amazing cutscene of Cloud just going to town on Sephiroth, man. It's such an amazing um, limit break, such an amazing ultimate move. And if you've never seen this before, you're like, oh my god, what an amazing way to end this fight, to end this game. And it's like you said, great way to end the fight. It's a great way to do it. So uh, Cloud defeats Sephiroth, and for the last time, Cloud is saved by uh, the collapse of the core by a hand that's reaching out to him, him thinking it's Aerith, but then is actually Tifa. An epiphany dawns on Cloud, and he sees how all their lives and that of the planet are intertwined, and how the souls of loved ones continue onward. The group escapes the cave in time to witness Holy, the uh, summon that Aerith was praying for at the altar where she died. Holy emerges from the planet to stop Meteor, but it isn't enough. So the life stream comes out of the planet to help Holy, to help Aerith finally save the world. And then the last cutscene of the game is takes place 500 years later where we see the planet has healed completely from the forces of evil, which is Sephiroth. So that, so this ending, I did want to ask you a question about yeah. your thoughts on it. Because, <clears throat> the, like like you mentioned, the life stream pops out and then ends up being what really stops the meteor. Which brings uh, like a big question in the community that's been like, what well, was what the party did ever really necessary in the first place? if the life stream had this sort of like natural response to save the planet. And I oh. want to see your take on that. Oh, that's great. Okay, so here, I'm going to explain something. So, the reason why Holy wasn't enough was because of Sephiroth's presence. Okay? The reason Sephiroth was in that cocoon in Northern Crater for so long, he was building up energy, he was like within the life stream kind of, holding back the full powers of Holy, and that's why he killed Aerith to stop it as soon as possible. So, with Holy not not being fully powered up, kind of, the life stream is Aerith personified, kind of, Right? Because when you die, you return to the live stream. So this is Aerith giving a final push to Holy to save the planet. Does that make sense? Interesting. I do like that take. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's not a take. That's what happens. Oh, well, I mean, I've heard I've heard a lot of people kind of have the mindset uh, who know a lot more about Final Fantasy than me. <laughs> with the mindset of like uh, the live stream had this sort of natural response to save the planet that may have made all the party's efforts somewhat at least a little bit useless. No. At the same time, there would have still been Sephiroth, there would have still been Shinra. Yeah, so so when that cutscene is playing out, when that final cutscene is playing out, and we see the livestream go into Holy, we see the same image of Aerith holding her hands in prayer and looking up. 
as we saw in the beginning of the game, like the first cutscene. Um, but that so, that could just be symbolism. Sure, it could be point. symbolism, but like, of course, of course, it's up to anybody's interpretation. But yeah, I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure I'm that's right. What, that's ultimately what I'm, I I agree with your take too. Gotcha. I'm not trying to like sh- shit in your series. I understand. But, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I do. I did kind of want to see what your take was after hearing that take because yeah. it is a pretty cynical one to just be like, yeah. And then the planet it itself. So you could argue that like, <laughs> what it really, what really is the point of all of us? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I do like the idea of Aerith kind of being that final push to save the day. Yeah. It Cloud was... being the start and uh, Aerith being the finish for sure. A great ending for us to even have that conversation for that conversation to even yeah exist. right to have this to have other people it's, interpreted in so many ways yeah like like an ending that doesn't tell you everything leaves stuff up to interpretation I feel like you don't get that a lot in video games because right. they have the time to <laughs> explain to you further out the each detail that of the ending and I think just during- people need to be spoon fed things now uh. I don't think people like being spoon-fed story. When, when it comes think, to like, oh, what does this mean? I don't understand it. This, I think a lot of people don't want to think too hard. That I mean, that's true to a sense. But then also they can find some person who did an analysis of their own and just steal their take. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. They don't, they don't need to think, but you can still have open-ended stories that make everybody happy. Oh, sure. I know you can, and I, and I like that. But But I feel like games that do that are few and far between sometimes well a lot of games have a lot of time in their resolution so they're able to kind of explain further what each moment was all the they're able to break down the moments that are still left for interpretation which isn't entirely a bad thing it it allows you to kind of expand on the story a little bit more before everything comes to a close get rid of any questions I personally, though, always like an ending with interpretation because it leaves you wanting more or it leaves you wanting to at least have a discussion. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting here for almost two hours. And if you want to include our first part, you know, that's two and a half hours, I guess, of yeah, talking we about haven't this even, stuff. And we haven't even discussed a lot of the story elements that still leave room for discussion. Like each individual character's story all yeah. has an element of discussion of like, was this really the best route for them? But they seem happy. Like talking about Yumi, what's her name? Yuffie. Right? Yuffie. Yuffie. Yuffie's whole arc with the situation with her town yeah. is one that ends in a situation where you can have a discussion about whether or not that's the answer that Yuffie should have really been looking for. Right. There's an entire conversation there. But also, like, that's the game leaves it there to give that, or whether on purpose or not the game leaving it there gives you the option to have that discussion or have those thoughts where you're like man Yuffie heard that but I imagine like a few months after she had that moment she might have probably still been feeling a little like wanting more right um out of, out of her home didn't want to and that that's just like one example yeah so like you have all of these moments so this story is told in such a narrative way to leave so much interpretation and discussion yeah. and analysis and it's a video game and a game from this time people didn't think like you or a lot of people didn't think people still don't think you can get this <laughs> much narrative out of a video game yeah and with each and every one of these characters in a sense they all still like their own stories still has a theme of loss and identity you know so Yuffie's whole thing is lost an identity of what is Wu Tai after the war against Shinra. They were once like a proud, like 
ninja culture or whatever, probably ninja town, now they're just a tourist trap after the war. And do they want to fight back and be just as bad as the Shinra? Or do they want to just, you know, move on and grow with what has happened, you know? Red 13, I think it really hits home for me where it's like, he thought his dad abandoned him and his family and the entire uh, town. Whereas he actually took on the Gi who they were fighting against all by himself and got turned to stone. There's a lot there for Lost and identity because Lost is, he lost his damn dad during the war against his tribe. And the identity part is, oh, I didn't know about that about my dad. I thought my dad was just a selfish prick who left and never came back because he was scared or something, you know. Uh, with Barrett, he he lost his best friend and his entire town and, and the respects of his town and, and all this type of stuff. He had to find out who he was after the incident against Shinra and losing his arm, his friend, having to adopt his best friend's daughter and moving to, to moving to Midgar and to start this whole eco-terrorist thing. That's a lot with uh, loss and identity. Vincent, I, we already covered. That's apparent. That's simple Sid which we haven't even talked about Sid's a reoccurring character in every single Final Fantasy game Uh, not the exact same character but a character named Sid he wants to go to space he wants to be the first ever astronaut he doesn't get that he loses that opportunity in the past he later gets that redemption of he finally gets into space and he now knows like what's important it's not not the mission is the people who are around him and that care for him cloud this entire story is about that we already covered that tifa is also in that same vein like next to cloud where you know she's not just the sidekick or whatever she's not just there she has her own role to play as the leader and also like oh i also need to help out my friends and care about my friends to help them even after still going through this nibbleheim incident you know what i mean like Aerith, uh i <laughs> Aerith, she kind of dies. She, she dies. She, <laughs> There's the loss of loss of her life. <laughs> yeah, Cloud and Tifa lose her their entire village, their entire lives. Yeah, like everybody, even even Sephiroth himself. The whole reason why there was an incident in Nibelheim is because he found out the truth that he of his identity. Yeah, he found out the truth of his identity of him being a weird alien baby thing who basically lost his mother due to experimentation. Yeah. And he goes insane. He breaks down. He's like, he loses literally everything. He causes so much destruction. And now he wants to just destroy everything because he's like, my actual mom did it. Genova. That's what she wanted to do when she came here in the first place. So I'm going to do it too. Lost an identity. It's so powerful how a game from the 90s, a just about 20 year old game, can talk about these type of things. It's insane. Yeah, for sure. It's also like unprecedented, even in the series itself. Like the other games still had great narratives that everybody loves, but Final Fantasy VII has always stood out in the narrative that it brought to the table compared to the previous ones, let alone the technological innovations and the just general like changes they made to make the game more appealing. This game was a big shift for the series and the narrative is the standout in that. Even though Final Fantasy VI is said to be like one of the best video games ever but i think seven has i don't think it holds a candle to seven i haven't played it so i haven't played it very either uneducated <laughs> opinion here <laughs> 
but if it held a candle of seven, it would have been talked about a little bit more. But I think what helps seven is the innovations of like how it's telling its story, how it's, you know, how it looks. Because six, that's still like Super Nintendo era, whereas, you know, seven is on PS2 and we have like actual VFX cutscenes and stuff like that. Like this is a movie, you know, it definitely shaped the future of the gaming industry and for RPGs. It definitely paved the way. For sure. Where else do you want to go with this? Is there anything else you want to say? Um, I guess I would just finish off my thoughts with the sense of like, I do think this is the original is a game people should play and try. And yeah. it might be difficult. And if it's that, if that's the case, don't like force yourself through it. But there is a narrative here that's very fun and a gameplay that at the time people found to be super entertaining that they could throw in hours into. So with all of that, give it a try. It's one of the goats of gaming, right? So like it should just be mandatory homework if you consider yourself (laughs) a big fan of video games. Yeah. And if it disappoints, just wait a few years and then try the remakes. (laughs) Just wait a a measly four to five years for uh, this three. Yeah, it won't take too (laughs) long, right? Oh, we hope. My final thoughts are um, MatPat has this theory where anybody's first Final Fantasy is going to be their favorite. And this was my first Final Fantasy, and it's my favorite. So good good on you, MatPat. I know you're listening. Thank you. This game means so much to me. And, you know, it's really thanks to Super Smash Brothers who really has influenced or has shown me, like, all these different characters from all these different games that made, that's made me spiral and to be like, oh, I want to check this out, I want to check this out, I want to check this out. Thank you, Masahiro Sakurai. I know you're listening, too. I'm excited to see the remakes and the rebirth and whatever else comes after. I absolutely love what we have now with the original game, Crisis Core, Advent Children, such a phenomenal movie. I watched it this morning which takes place two years after uh, the events of the original game. Fantastic, phenomenal movie. There's also Dirge of Cerberus, which, which is a, a video game that happened. I'm glad Vincent got more attention, but like, uh, it could have been better. But all that to say, this entire episode, this entire part two, just to say that Final Fantasy VII has an impact on the world of gaming and storytelling. This game has influenced me on how I see and interpret media in terms of story, in terms of their characters, in terms of their world, and how impactful it it can be, and how much I can care about something, and I lose that something, this game has taught me how to deal with that loss. And no matter how important, how big, how significant that loss is to me, knowing how I can get through it, knowing how I can still know who I am after it all happens, it's important and I can't, I'm can't. i forever grateful for this game. All right, that's all the time we have for today, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode of Final Fantasy VII. Please be sure to let us know what you think of this episode somewhere on the internet. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Razzle Dazzle Show and on TikTok at Razzle underscore Dazzle underscore Show. Be sure to tune in every Thursday on the Eagle Radio Live 365 app where we are live from 12 to 1 and special thanks to Killica Beats for letting us use their music for this episode. You can find these tracks and more on Spotify and YouTube by searching up Killica Beats and or Final Fantasy VII Lo-Fi. Links will be in the description down below. We'll catch you on the next one. Dilly Dally Shilly Shally. Shilly Shally Dilly Dally? Huh? What does that Tifa say? Tifa says this in a... Advent Children.
Shilly shally, oh. dilly dally, shilly shally. That's like, <laughs> there's this one scene where like Cloud is feeling bad about himself or about something. And she's like, dilly dally, shilly shally. Dilly dally, shilly shally. And what the, apparently what that's supposed to mean is, get over yourself, you prick. <laughs> Very Tifa. <laughs>